Hold up. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is JR, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? Hey, what's up, JR? Just hanging in there, just enjoying the weather and loving the football season as it progresses. Yes, it's been a highly entertaining season. We're going to keep bringing more news and information to you on the NFL. Good news, the NBA is kicking off as well. That doesn't get as interesting until later on the season. So we want to bring a concise news story to you in about an hour or less. We try to shoot for that hour time frame, keep out the hot takes, keep out the babbling, rambling nonsense, and really just give you good insights beyond the basic numbers. That's what we do here at the Sports Wrap-Up. So we're going to stick to the NFL in this episode. Uh, also, I want to mention to you that this podcast is brought to you by Ringer. That's R-I-N-G-R.com forward slash wrap up to get your podcast started today. If you have something you want to talk about, if you have a hobby, an interest, or, or want to make your podcast into a business, which we're doing here, and we're excited about it, and we're very thankful that you guys are listening. Uh, and we always appreciate the feedback, by the way. But if you want to get started, go ahead and visit that link and you can get your podcast started for 25% off. So don't delay. Uh, it's a it's a really fun time, guys. Uh, by the way, Marv, I know I'm excited about the NBA season. I know you are. So we don't, we don't want to discount it. I'm really looking forward to watching the games. It's just things don't get interesting. There's not a lot of news. There's 82 games that doesn't have the urgency of the NFL uh, it, within the 16-week season. So I want to get into it here. I want to get into our first topic. We all saw the Dallas Cowboys win a big game, a very important game for the Cowboys. On Sunday, they blew out the Philadelphia Eagles. Like I said, for some reason, they continue to own those Eagles, continue to win the games when it matters for Jason Garrett. And uh, came out of Dallas this week that the Cowboys players rallied around the threats or the concern over Jason Garrett getting fired. Now, as we mentioned last week, Jason Garrett is not great on accountability, not great on, on uh, holding the players to what they need to do. Jason Garrett reminds me of my ninth grade science teacher. I didn't like science. And of course, nobody really likes school. And when when my teacher was normally teaching, I would kind of could screw off and ask for answers and kind of shirk my duties and, and get away with anything I could. But at times in the public school system, your teacher gets audited. They come in to see, make sure that they're doing their job. When that time came, I would kind of sit there quietly and make sure I was looking, my teacher looked good. Why? Because I wanted a, him to hang around. I didn't want any accountability. When that time came, it was really important for me to be on my best behavior that person would leave after a couple of days and it'd be back to business as usual. It was one of the easiest classes I've ever had. And like I said, I don't like science. So it was amazing. This is what's happening in Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys are, when, it, when push comes to shove, when their backs are against the wall, when that audit comes, when they're afraid that their teacher could get let go for cause, they button up and they put on their best behavior. They put on their best face. They come out, they motivate themselves and make sure that they don't have to remain accountable. They can live in their individualistic culture. They can get their stats. They can get their numbers. This isn't a Super Bowl winning culture just because you can beat your division rival. Yes, that's something, but that's not everything. My fifth grade teacher, now he was he was a disciplinarian. He was strict. He taught me about life. He taught me that it was important to take my schoolwork seriously to learn. And without that, I, I don't think I would be the person I am today. And I know a lot of you have the, a similar story of somebody who who puts you in line, who who taught you discipline. And I'm not saying every coach has to be a disciplinarian, but there has to be a element of discipline and accountability. Andy Reid is very much a player's coach. He's been very successful throughout the years, hasn't won the big game, maybe because he doesn't take the discipline to the next level like a Bill Belichick, but he wins a lot of games. He's very highly respected. He's that player's coach at the same time. He does have discipline. So Dallas, congratulations on the win. But there needs to be more discipline, and the jury's still out on the rest of the season, which I am not highly optimistic on while you remain under Jason Garrett's leadership. With that being said, I want to get into the Dallas Cowboys win. People ask me on the show in between the episodes, Jerry, you talk a lot about quarterbacks. And yes, I do talk a lot about quarterbacks. Marvin, I talk a lot about quarterbacks because it's the most important position on the field in the NFL. 
And it's arguably, very easily, arguably, the most important position in sports. There's not a, I could think, NHL goalie. They're responsible for stopping every single puck shot at them. But other than that, MLS, uh, Major League Soccer or International Soccer, the goalies, you know, the buck stops there. They have to stop the ball every time. But there's there's no other position in sports where every single time for the play to enact on offense where you score points, that that person has to touch it. In NBA, there's the point guard, but point guards alternate. You can have your small forward bring the ball up. So the quarterback has to touch the ball every time. But people say, JR, you talk a lot about quarterbacks. There's obviously other ways to win in this league other than having an elite quarterback. That's correct. That is right. And uh, we just happened to hit a full bingo this week on the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Colts. All one big. They all look good. But here's the thing. They all have – they do have the below-average quarterback. That's fine. It's been working for them. But they have a specific way that they need to win. And, and it goes like this. It's through a six-step process. So I'll break it down for you. Number one, they need to score in the first quarter and take the lead. These teams are excellent when they're winning at scoring in the first quarter. They're absolutely abysmal in their losses. When they're winning, they're in the top five in the league in first quarter scoring. So it's important for them to get out to a lead. What does the lead allow you to do? It takes you ball control, number one, and it makes the other uh, team one-dimensional. It makes them try to air it out. So your ball control, you run out the clock so that often the more talented team, the team that can air out the ball, has it less. So that's number two part of the formula. This requires running the football in a great offensive line. Again, these are top offensive lines. The Cowboys, the Colts, and the Ravens are able to run the football at will. The Ravens will just come out and bully you, as will the Cowboys, even more so than the Colts. They come out and play bully ball. They run it down your throat and dare you to stop them because you just can't. Lamar Jackson's too dynamic. Their line is great at blocking for him on the run. And the same for the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott is dynamic. Their line is great at running the football. So we have score first. We have ball control, which is required for the offensive line to be great. That's number. Th that's the first three steps. Number four, you take your below average quarterback and run simple pass concepts off that run after the defense has committed. That's the fourth step. The fifth step is have an a above average defense, but it, remember, it doesn't really matter as much on defense in the modern NFL. And in this case, because they're not on the field that much, you don't allow that better passing, that more explosive quarterback, that more explosive team to get in a rhythm. And then number six, when the clock runs out and you're ahead because you've done all these things, Pray to God that Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady doesn't have the ball at this time. So you can see there's six steps. Score in the first quarter. Have ball control because you're ahead. This requires the running game in the line. That's number three. Run simple pass concepts because you've established a running game. Have an above average defense. Somebody that can stop and keeps out of rhythm, but you don't have to be top 15. You should be somewhere around that area, though. And number six, pray to God that the better quarterback doesn't have the ball within striking distance. The point of this exercise is that it's complicated. Everything needs to kind of go your way in order for this to work. The problem is, in terms of keeping this strategy as a successful formula, is it takes six steps. And a lot of the best teams, my Super Six, the Patriots, guess what? They're number one in first quarter scoring. The Packers, they're also top five in offensive line. So they're able to run the ball. Whether Aaron Rodgers is willing to allow that to happen can be in question sometimes. But they are able to do these things, yet they have their insurance policy, their great insurance policy, the umbrella that is Aaron Rodgers, the umbrella that is Tom Brady. So, again, congratulations to these teams. They have sustainable success for the regular season. But my concern and what I talk a lot about in the show is ability to be excellent, ability to win the Super Bowl, because that is, at the end of the day, the ultimate goal of going out and playing during these weeks of the regular season. So this is a formula for winning, but it is complicated. Now, I want to zone in on the Dallas Cowboys. They did all six steps excellent. 
this week. Better than even the Ravens, who did an excellent job. They relied on some defensive scoring. And the Colts had actually a great passing game built off that offensive line, the number two pass blocking line in the league, which is making Jacoby Brissett, who I like, look even better than he is. But circle back to the Cowboys. Dak Prescott was able to play ball control, play game manager, because after two possessions, the first quarter anemic Eagles let the Cowboys up 14-0 after the first score and then a turnover leading to another quick score. So within a couple of minutes, it was already 14-0. The Eagles have one of the worst first quarter offenses, and it was exasperated by that. And this is why the Dallas Cowboys continue to beat the Eagles. I said I didn't know, but after looking into it, that's why. Bad first quarter offense, Cowboys always jump to the lead, and then they inflict their style of play. Now, a lot of Cowboys fans are coming out and saying, this is why you pay Dak Prescott. Look at what he can do. Blow out the Eagles 37 to 10. Well, let me look at the numbers. The numbers aren't everything, but Dak Prescott had 239 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Dak Prescott didn't have a lot to do with this win. It was the top five defense forcing the turnover, the run game inflicting the will in the trenches, which is a way to win. It's just not a sustainable way to win. And it becomes a lot less sustainable when Dak Prescott is making $30 million and you lose two or three pieces on that defense, two or three pieces on that line. You have Bottom line is when you pay him $30 million instead of on a rookie contract, you have two or three less players that you are able to pay. While those out there in the media and the fans are arguing that this is the reason that you pay Dak Prescott because he wins these big games, this goes exactly to my point why you don't pay him. 239 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I can get that out of a highly drafted rookie if I do it right, and I can keep the excellent core around him. This is how the Ravens won the Super Bowl without a without a Hall of Fame quarterback in Joe Flacco. This is how the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. They, they had a younger defense, so they were cheaper, but they had a low-level quarterback, and they won it with defense and a running game. So, Marv, I want to bring you in here. The Dallas Cowboys had a nice win, but does this make you want to pay Dak any more than you did last week? Nope. Simple as that. Um, it didn't prove anything to me, but, uh, I mean, honestly, if you take a look at prior games, Eagles versus Cowboys, uh, Cowboys normally always beat the Eagles. In Dallas, is something mental. I think uh, – the Eagles, for some reason, when they get to Dallas, they, they they feel intimidated and they, for some reason, cannot beat the Cowboys. And two, um, Dak Prescott did enough to manage the game because that's pretty much what those numbers say to me when I look at them because I, I really didn't stop watching the game after the first quarter after I knew this game was turning into a blowout. I lost interest in it. But um, just based on the numbers and, and watching the highlights, you could tell Dak Prescott became a game manager. Once the Cowboys took the lead by a lot, they decided to manage the game, run the ball, and play hard-nosed defense and keep the Eagles from scoring while controlling the clock. And that formula worked for them. You know, like you said, it's not sustainable. It doesn't work every single game. But once they got to such a large lead, there was no need for Dak to make many passes, and there was no need for them to air it out as much. So I feel like it does not change my um, my opinion on Dak Prescott. Uh, this game from last game to the game before, I still think the Dallas Cowboys shouldn't pay him what he is requesting. Yeah, look, this is a hard cap league. There is a limited salary cap. There aren't the loopholes like there are in the NBA to go over the cap and pay into luxury. It is very firm on what you can pay. And um, when, you look at, when you look at the season, when you look at when the Cowboys played the Jets, they got out to a, the Jets got out to a big lead and the Cowboys couldn't come back. You look at the Baltimore Ravens. They're able to win when they inflict their will and score some points on defense like they did against the Seahawks this week. However, when they go ahead and play against the Chiefs, the teams, a team that they're going to have to beat to get to a Super Bowl if they want to go there, the Chiefs jump out because they're an explosive offense. They score a lot of points, and Baltimore has no way to come back. Now, Baltimore controlled the first quarter of that game, but when an explosive team that has multiple ways to win a game 
jumps on you and all you have is a game manager, like you said about Dak, that is a problem. And Dak Prescott is a game manager. And that is not a, a bad word. That is not a dirty term. And I can't expect every single person to be Patrick Mahomes. That's not what I'm expecting. But Marv, isn't it realistic to expect within my theory, or, or do you believe it to be realistic to expect within my theory, to be able to draft a young quarterback who can become a game manager or sign a cheaper quarterback a la Teddy Bridgewater, who's uh, backing up Drew Brees and is now 5-0, and who's definitely a game manager, and then you're able to pay for this formula. This formula is expensive when it comes to players. It's six steps. It's difficult. Uh, am I way off base in saying that they can find a game manager somewhere else or teams can find a game manager for much cheaper than these huge contracts going to quarterbacks? No, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think a lot of teams are going or shifting gears towards that style of building teams. A lot of teams rather, how I say, build a young defense, build the weapons around them, and then draft a young quarterback and know that they got that fifth-year option if they take the quarterback in the first round where they won't have to pay the quarterback a lot of money until the fifth year, which then gives teams time to build a team around that quarterback within those first four, four years while they're saving money a lot of teams can, you know, like the Chiefs, for example, they've been able to plug young weapons around Mahomes while he's still on his rookie contract. And it has, you know, done well for them. That plan has worked well for the Chiefs. Their defense is still kind of, you know, uh, how I say, mediocre, but their offense is stacked with talent. And that's because they're able to get guys paid on the offensive side of the ball like um Ty Hill and their tight end Kelsey. So I think that's a great formula. And I think a lot of teams are starting to catch on and many teams will continue to do that. It works best. And I think that's what Dallas Cowboys should consider since there is going to be a plethora of quarterbacks coming out of this draft to, if do you really want to tie up $40 million per year to a mediocre quarterback that is a game manager or do you just draft a young guy and keep paying your skill position players around them and still get the same outcome or same kind of play from your young quarterback that you're getting from Dak? I think the right answer would be go elsewhere and not spend that money on Dak because then you lose a lot of pieces in, in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And, and Marv, you being a, a – covering the Broncos and being a Broncos fan – uh, you had one of the Super Bowl teams in, in Denver. It was Peyton Manning. He wasn't making a huge sum of money, but he was making some money. If I recall, that defense was cheaper in Denver at the time. So they had high-level talent, but an aging quarterback. But he was still great in terms of the fact that he was a leader, uh, cerebral. But he was in that game manager class as Dak Prescott, so it can be done. Um, when, when, the, when the listeners are looking for the formula to win the Super Bowl, the formula to sustained winning within those kind of parameters, and that was a Super Bowl winning team, how did they do that and from your perspective watching them so closely? Well, based on what I know, that season, Peyton Manning restructured his contract before the season began. His base salary was $15 million that year with the $5 million bonus if he won the Super Bowl, which he did. So inexpensive inexpensive to the point that we were making earlier about finding a game manager for cheap, but go ahead. So in in return, that $15 million opened up a lot of cap space for the Broncos to be able to retain Akeem Tlaib, TJ Ward, uh, Chris Harris, Darian Stewart, DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller, and even uh, what was great was Malik. Uh, I forget his last name, but anyways, Malik uh, Jackson, the defensive end, he was on his rookie contract. Derek Wolf was on his rookie contract. So a lot of those guys were really young on the defensive side, and a lot of them were on very manageable contracts. Thanks to Peyton Manning, we were able to pay all those guys to build an elite def- defense, and we had an undrafted rookie at running back. So imagine that. I mean, it was pretty well-built team with the cap, 
And Manning was the main reason because of it, because he took such a big pay cut to help the team win. And that's another thing that the Patriots do. Pay Manning, I'm not paying Manning, I'm sorry. Tom Brady takes pay cuts and he sacrifices salary so the Patriots can keep building the defense they currently have and keep adding pieces that continuously makes them a juggernaut every single season. And that's the thing I think a lot of these teams should start paying more close attention to and start, you know, mimicking because this is a copycat league. I'm surprised other teams haven't even done this yet where they need to, you know, find a quarterback that's really good but yet willing to sacrifice his salary to make the team better. And I think that that will help sustain or keep, uh, how I say, a long-running winning franchise going. Yeah, the reality is with Dak, they're going to pay him. But the matter of the fact is that Dallas makes him a lot of money and gets him a lot of uh, commercials, Campbell Chunky Soup and so on. So if he really wants to win, he should consider taking that discount because the reality is uh, I don't make the decisions in Dallas. So I wouldn't pay Dak Prescott. I'd I'd tell him to kick rocks, but he's going to get signed. But at the end of the day, Marv, to your point, it's really difficult when we're, when you're talking about the Broncos giving us a great example. The Broncos hit on a lot of draft picks, and then the quarterback payment flexibility, let's call it, allowed them to sign those draft picks that contracts were aging out, and then they hit on the next set of draft picks who were on cheap salaries. This is a very complicated formula, and the moral of the story is my hat's off to the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Colts for winning seasons. They're doing a great job. They're fun teams to watch. But my point to our listeners is that it's a very difficult uh, process and formula to make this work without an elite quarterback. I know they're hard to find, but the flip side of the coin is that when you have Aaron Rodgers, you've seen it over the last couple of years. The Packers are an Aaron Rodgers injury away from Aaron Rodgers being healthy, being Super Bowl contenders, and uh, Aaron Rodgers being unhealthy and being a dumpster fire equivalent to the Cleveland Browns. So you can see how that switch can flip on and off. But there is certainly a way to win this league. It is a sustainable business model. At the end of the day, these teams are businesses. In the regular season, they're winning games. It's good. It's fun. Uh, The fans are enjoying it. And I appreciate watching it. So tip of the cap. But uh, it's a very hard, sustainable, sick, unsustainable six-step model. It's very hard to sustain. I shouldn't say it's completely unsustainable, but hard to sustain. I want to shift to this as it comes to quarterbacks and determining game managers, superstars, and, and otherwise. There are a couple of young quarterbacks who we all saw on national TV. We had the uh, Jets and Sam Darnold on Monday night. And uh, Mitchell Trubisky, 80% of the country saw the Bears and the Saints. And that they both took a beating. They took uh, unbelievably bad games out onto the field. And yes, this is a wins or loss business. This is a results-driven league. But at the end of the day, you can learn something from wins and losses and all are not created equal. I had people calling and texting me about my affinity for Sam Donald and, and thinking he's going to be great as a quarterback or at least a top 10 quarterback in the league. I don't believe he's going to be the next Tom Brady, but he's going to be excellent. And then my bashing of Mitchell Trubisky, and they say, what is the difference? Trubisky at least could complete a pass. Trubisky could do this. Trubisky to do that. Look, you have to look deeper than the numbers. The coaches and their play calling are telling you everything that you need to know about these quarterbacks. Look, I I talk about sports. I'm not a professional coach. I lead my uh, expertise to the coaches. They're far more experts than I am on the subject. So that's why I look to their play calling, what they're trying to do with their players. Adam Gase gave Sam Darnold in his infancy, let's compare him to a six-year-old in first grade, he gave him a Rubik's Cube because he trusts him. He gave him the ability to set protections, which Sam Darnold did miserably at. He gave him, he gives him a full playbook. As we saw it succeed against the Dallas Cowboys, it didn't succeed against the Patriots. It's the Patriots. It's tough. But he gave him a full playbook. He gave him Rubik's Cube and said, solve this. He wasn't able to do it against this incredibly complex 
18-sided Rubik's Cube because the Patriots upped the level of that Rubik's Cube difficulty. Matt Nagy gave Mitchell Trubisky a child's puzzle. It was like 20 pieces, and he couldn't even put 10 of them together. He ran RPOs. Couldn't do that. He ran – he schemed players wide open in cover two. Mitchell Trubisky missed him by five yards when there wasn't a player within five to ten yards. So you can look at the box score, but that's not what we do here on the show. We look at what are the coaches telling you. And um, the coaches told me a lot. Adam Gase trusts Sam Darnold, and when he fails, he believes that he will learn from it. And we will see what happens. But again, as many of you can acknowledge, the Patriots have the best defense in the NFL. And I'm not here to apologize for Sam, by the way. That was one of the worst games I've ever seen. But I believe in Sam Darnold's mental capacity and his ability to bounce back from the loss. And he's 22 years old and he, he, he's very young. So he, he's had a lot less time. That was his 16th start in the NFL. When you look at Trubisky, it's year number three, man. What's going on? And uh, I have a theory on this, Marv, and I want to ask you about it. But when I look at what's happened over the season with Trubisky, coming up, comes out of camp, a lot of noise coming out of camp saying Trubisky is really doing poorly. Now, within organizations, uh, at least well-run organizations, any sort of businesses, leaks don't necess- don't often get out unless you want them to. The Patriots leak only when they want it to. And I, I don't think the Bears are a poorly run organization at this point. I think Ryan Pace is very smart. He may try to overthink things like he did when drafting Trubisky. And Matt Nagy took uh, Mitchell Trubisky and performed magic tricks and pulled rabbits out of hats to get the Bears to 12-4 and four last year. And that's just not sustainable in the NFL. There's a lot of tape out there. These guys are 24-7 trying to learn how to stop your players. So he leaks some information because he doesn't like Trubisky. He's getting that out there in the media that this guy isn't, isn't doing well in camp. And then he comes out and says, here, dude, you have to run this whole offense. And the training wheels are off. No more magic tricks. No more trick plays. We'll try and throw those in there as we can. But the big number out of Chicago was seven. Seven rush attempts. And the Chicago media was going nuts saying, how could you not run the ball with a severely limited quarterback. As we said, that's the formula to win when you have a limited quarterback, run the football. And when you look at deep into the tape, Nagy is telling us, Marv, this was my theory. Nagy is telling us that I'm going to scheme guys open. I'm going to, I'm going to make simple throws for you. You need to make them because that is my offense. And he's unable to make them. So he's telling his boss, hey, dude, I need a new guy. I need somebody else who can run my offense because this guy isn't running my offense, contrary to the Ravens philosophy, which they've sold out for a young quarterback and designed the offense around him. It's two different approaches. Marv, am I crazy in saying that Matt Nagy is trying to have Mitch Trubisky put up or shut up, so to speak, and in reality is running him out of town because he knows he can't run his offense? Is, is that crazy? No, it's not crazy. I honestly think that that's correct. I mean – if you watch the games, the way it's playing out, you could tell, like, Trubisky just looks like a deer lost in front of, a he- like, headlights. He looks lost when he- the plays are, are uh, given to him. He doesn't know what to do, make, like, he always has one read. It's like, it's like uh, Nagy made a playbook that's like, you know, how I say, for dummies, and Trubisky still can't understand it, and he just looks like, like he's lost out there. Like he's regressed. I I didn't think it was possible that a guy can regress so much after his first two seasons in the league. But Trubisky has completely regressed, and it's it's noticeable out there with his play. Uh, he has such a talented team around him, and yet he can't produce. And I think Nagy's to the point where he's you know possibly could be. I'm not accusing him of sabotaging, but I mean. It's looking more so that he's calling the plays to make Trubisky look even worse so he could have it on tape and say, look here, do you really want to continue having this guy run this franchise? I mean, we our Super Bowl window is this small. We need to have put a bring a guy in here that can win the game for us when we need him to. Uh, I simplify this offense for him, and yet he can't even complete a simple five-yard out route. 
So please get me someone in here. And I think that's that's what Nagy's doing behind the scenes, and he's probably pleading to get a new quarterback in town. So we're going to see how that turns out in the next few weeks or however long this drags out till they finally make the call to just fully bench Trubisky and finally go in another direction. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree with you more because the, to the point that you made uh, earlier, Matt Nagy won coach of the year. He didn't become an idiot in the offseason. So when Chicago uh, sports media is talking about how can you run the ball seven times, the reality is simple to your point. He was a game manager. They've tried to dumb down the offense, but it's, it is almost to the point where he is trying to say, Nagy's trying to say, look, this guy can't run my offense. Get me somebody else. I'm not tying my career to this guy. I'm not tying my career record to this. You need to get me somebody else because it's just not working, whether it's he doesn't believe in his uh, capability mentally, physically, or otherwise. But I do think you make a great point. He has dumbed down the offense just a little bit. But he's trying to make him run a, a a step ahead of last year, not a bunch of magic tricks and and trick plays and rabbits out of hats. It, it, it's not going to work long term, and he knows that. And he he knows he can put a quarterback in there and and guide them to success. He's done it in Kansas City. He was part of that room that drafted Mahomes when a lot of people didn't see Mahomes as that elite prospect. He's done it with uh, Nick Foles in Kansas City. He's done it with just. Average Alex Smith, below average to average guys who've had extreme success. Let's not forget when Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator of Kansas City, we had a whole first eight to 10 games a couple of years ago where Alex Smith was in the MVP conversation. I mean, Alex Smith, it, 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 that's what he's, he's not like he's worked with Brett Favre and Peyton Manning and, and, and uh, Tom Brady. He's working with below average talent and he really is telling his boss, the front office, he's telling you with his play calling, Look, man, here it is on tape. He can't do it. And uh, male ego is a tough thing to deal with, and I think they're having a tough time there with that in Chicago. Marv, do you think that Ryan Pace realizes this, that this is a problem, or is it going to take a lot more selling here? I think he does, and he's starting to hear the the loud boo birds at each and every home game, and it's becoming much more – visible and apparent that it's, 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 you know, the booze are getting louder. And, and I think eventually it's going to take uh, fans not going to the game to a point where it starts hitting their pockets. And then that's when um, Pace will have to start making some serious decisions because obviously the fans are not liking the product that's being put out there every Sunday in uh, Soldier Field. Yeah. And, and here's the reality to everyone listening, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy for us to sit here and criticize, but when we go back to the situation in Chicago, Ryan Pace was on the verge of losing his job. He had the number two draft pick. And the reality is he's a smart guy. He's built a great roster in Chicago. And um, he just whiffed. He overthought the room. He Deshaun Watson was the easy pick, but he was going to be the super smart, super genius in the NFL draft and and take Trubisky. And to be fair to Trubisky, to go to a franchise with such a storied history of horrible quarterback playing, having so few starts in college, he only started 13 games, and all this thrust on his shoulders. He was booed at the Bulls game after he was introduced, after he was drafted. He was booed at the draft. It's just been too much for the kid, and I do think he knows that Matt Nagy does not like him and does not trust him. And at the end of the day, it's affecting his play. So. It's just a bad situation in Chicago. It's time to move on. Perhaps Trubisky can harness his gifts and his talents at some other time somewhere else or maybe in Chicago if they can get someone else in there. But at the end of the day, Marv, I do believe that Mad Nagy saying, get me somebody else, or he's going to put his name out there and you might see a mutual parting of ways from Chicago because he's not going to tie his uh, cart to Mitchell Trubisky as his horse. Uh, I agree with that. That's true. It's just it's just too much to to put it out there for the success that he's had, and and he did win Coach of the Year. He has been a really sharp guy by all accounts in the NFL and coaching tree. Andy Reid, Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl out of that tree. There's a lot of sharp guys from coming from that coaching 
uh, realm. Gruden was also part of the Reed tree. Who was the tree that uh, they came from? Gruden and Reed came from the same one. Holmgren. Holmgren. So they're, Holmgren, they're, all, yeah, from they're all tied together. There's great coaches all over this league uh, from that tree of coaching. But, yeah, Chicago Bears do better. Put something that I can watch on my TV. I, uh, those games are becoming completely unwatchable. And I, li- I like to try to watch as many games as possible throughout the league. With that being said, I want to shift to this. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a result of lazy journalism or just because it sells, because it's interesting, because it, it's a good topic. There was a uh, high-profile journalist on Monday night. I won't mention any names because that's not what I'm here to do. But there are reports that uh, Tom Brady is preparing to move on from New England. Now, okay, that, that's interesting. That gets me. That gets you wanting to listen. Probably. Where, where's Tom Brady going to go? But let's put on our, our thinking caps. Let's put on our, our big boy pants for a minute and, and try and try and figure this out. We all know that Tom Brady has never been the most athletic player in the league. So he's certainly a very cerebral guy in the field. And, and oftentimes when you're, you're smart at work, you're smart in life. And I, I think Tom Brady's a really smart guy. He's building a business. He's building a brand. So we have that going on, right? Tom Brady has taken hometown discounts for 20 years now. And he's done the Patriots every favor that he possibly can in the sake of winning and building this brand. But Tom Brady is is shifting his brand, his namesake. And um, he, he's, he's saying this. He's saying this. Look, Belichick already tried to stab me in the back and get rid of me for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, that's not looking dumb, by the way. Bill was right in a way and Tom was right in a way that Jimmy G is 6-0. and A little bit more on that later. But Bill wasn't wrong. Tom wasn't wrong. Kraft wasn't wrong to keep Tom Brady through that whole segment. For those of you that may not know about it, it was before they won the Super Bowl last year. Bill Belichick wanted to trade Tom. Tom went to the owner, Robert Kraft, and said, Look, you guys trying to trade me. Don't let this happen. Robert Kraft intervened for the first time maybe in franchise history when Bill Belichick was running the team and said, nah, ain't happening. We're keeping Tom. And Belichick was overruled. He then traded uh, Garoppolo to the NFC and San Francisco 49ers. The rest is history. Jimmy G is having huge success. Patriots won the Super Bowl. Tom is – and by the way, the reasons for this that I want to get into, Tom has put his house on the market. Tom's trainer has put his house on the market and Tom's contract is ready to be voided at the end of the season. So that's the logic that Tom Brady's getting ready to move on. Okay. Now let's, let's put on that thinking cat. Tom Brady can buy like 15 houses in Boston and the market for that house. There's not a lot of people that can afford $15 million houses. So it's kind of more of a, uh, looks to me like a, a show move. Tom Brady's trainers put his house on the market. Again, Tom Brady pays him plenty of money. He could buy him three houses if he wants to. Tom Brady's net worth is ridiculous. So again, he put his house on the market. He didn't sell it. Neither of them did. Tom Brady's contract is is voidable at the end of the year. So is like 70% of the league. A lot of guys are playing on one-year contracts. Big deal. What Tom Brady is telling us, Tom Brady is saying, look, if you want to go ahead and make a move off me, I dare you. I'm ready I'm the CEO of my life. I'm not giving you uh, hometown discounts as I've done for the last 20 years. I, I've won six Super Bowls for you. I'm going on to win seven. Or I'm trying to win seven. I'm not saying he's going to win seven, but he, he's very much in contention at 7-0 and for winning number seven. They're very much the favorites in the AFC, the Patriots are. So he is taking control of the situation. He is the uh, pirate on the Captain Phillips movie. He's saying, look at me. I'm the captain now. I dare you to make a move off me. My house is up for sale. Uh, my trainer's house is up for sale. We're ready to go. I'll go to Chicago with that defense and I'll win a Super Bowl. I'll make you look silly. So go ahead and do it. I dare you. Marv, when you look at what Tom Brady's doing, people are saying he's getting ready to move on. He said he's going to play to 45, so I don't think he's going anywhere in football. Do you really think Tom Brady is moving on from the New England Patriots? No, I don't. I don't think Tom Brady is is ready to move on. Um, I think he's just posturing to the point where he's letting the New England Patriots know, hey, 
if you guys are trying to push me out the door, that's a big no-no. I decide when I want to leave. And if I think it's the time is right, then I'm going to be the one that leaves the Patriots myself. And at this point, I don't think Tom Brady wants to leave a good situation. They're constantly winning every year. Tom, is his numbers may not be up to par, but he's still doing enough to where the defense has been crushing opponents and they've been blowing out every single one of their opponents they've been facing lately. So I don't think Tom Brady is uh, going to be leaving anytime soon. It's just I think he's just letting the Patriots know, hey, you know, I'm the one that makes the decisions when it's time for me to go. And I think that's what that's the message he's trying to uh, send to the Patriots front office and management. Yeah, you're. I, I believe you're right. And the situation is this. Do you really want to turn to Jared Stidham and leave me out in the cold? I don't see that actually being a plausible possibility. And that's why I wanted to talk about it when when credible journalists are saying Tom Brady is preparing to move on as if he is wanting and wishing to move on. He's not wishing to move on from New England. They have a great thing going on there. They have the best coach in the NFL. They have the number one defense in the NFL. They have an unbelievable thing there. But Tom Brady's saying, hey, other people will love me too. I'm not just stuck in this relationship. I'm not going to be blindsided like I was the previous offseason. I'm ready to go. My wife on, on his, on his um, what's it called, Facebook show, his wife was saying that she wishes he was around more. She wishes he'd retire. So all those things are out there. He's basically saying, show me love and I'll show you love back. But like you said, to your point, I'm going on my terms. I'm ready to go if you're going to kick me out. And good luck dealing with the fans because either he's either going to come up just short of winning a Super Bowl this year or he's going to win another one, being a heavy favorite in the AFC. So good luck to you is what he is telling the Patriots. Tom Brady's not going anywhere, guys. Stop churning up the hot takes and the, and, and the news media just to get clicks and listens. That's not what we do here, and that's never what we'll do. Tom Brady's going to stay put in New England. He's just making sure he's valued and appreciated. Marv, it's game time. We're here to play a game. And uh, we're going to play something or nothing this week. So I'm going to ask you uh, if a game, a person, an individual was something or it's more or less nothing, not not overarching uh, dictation of the future. So is it something or nothing? The Ravens versus the Seahawks. Is this mean a lot this game of the Ravens won in a lopsided victory. Uh, what is this game telling you? It means nothing to me. Uh, I just think the Seahawks were just caught, how I say, sleeping. Uh, it was Russell Wilson's first like interception thrown, and it was unfortunately ran back for a touchdown. And that, I think, in the game early on set the tone for the Ravens to go ahead and run away with the lead. As we mentioned earlier, the six uh, steps to winning for those teams like the Ravens, uh, that was a good example of how the Ravens won. They ended up taking the lead early in the game, and once they did that, they just kept uh, controlling the clock, running the ball. And if you look at Lamar Jackson's numbers, all they did was run the ball and kept the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. And then when the game, when Russell Wilson tried to, you know, get him back in the game, of course, he ended up turning the ball over again. So I think it was, uh, it wasn't, it was nothing. I think basically the Ravens were able to execute their game plan and they caught the Seahawks napping. Yeah, I would say it's mostly nothing because it's what we already knew. Like you said, they were able to execute the six-step plan. They scored in the first quarter, they were able to hang in the game. The game was very close in the beginning, by the way, until Russell Wilson aided them with his first interception, which was returned by Marcus Peters. Great acquisition by the Ravens. Uh, so tip of the cap to them for doing such a great job in getting him. But at the end of the day, they were able to then take the lead after that interception. Step number two, implement ball control. They, they have always had a running game. So number three was checkbox. Four, run simple pass concepts. They only threw the ball 20 times, only nine completions. Uh, have, have an average to above average defense. That's step number five. They did that. They returned a touchdown for an interception, and they picked Russell off a couple times while he was forcing at the end. And uh, when the clock was running out, there was Russell Wilson who could win a game, but it just wasn't winnable at that point. So they perfectly ex executed their 
strategy to win the game. The Seahawks were caught slipping. They had a bad game. So it told me a lot of what I already knew. The Ravens can win if they have the perfect formula. They're 5-2. and two. They're going to win the division. They're going to have success, and they're going to be in the playoffs. So if things go exactly right for them, they can win games, which they did. The Seahawks need a little bit more help. They need magic from Russell. They didn't get it, and there you have the result. Um, Marv, was it something or nothing when we saw on the noon slot that Kirk Cousins comes out firing away like he's Joe Montana for four touchdowns and like 370 yards? Is that something or nothing to you? I still think it's nothing, and it's it's kind of like fool's gold. I, I still don't believe it until he continues this hot streak throughout the whole season. Because we've seen this before where Kirk Cousin catches fire and he just, you know, goes off. There was that one season when he had like 4,000-plus yards and about 20-some, 20, 20, I think it was 28 touchdowns or so. So, I mean, I've seen this before. It's the same Kirk Cousins. It seems his teammates just set a fire under him. And right now he's, you know, pleasing his teammates by airing it out to them. But I don't think that he's going to be able to sustain sustain this throughout the whole season. And I think it's, you know, nothing to really be uh, shocked about because this is what Kirk Cousin does. He'll have a few games where he looks like Joe Montana, and then he'll have some games that he looks like Rex Grossman. So I, I believe this is nothing. Well, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think it's something, and let me explain why. It's something because in the first game, the Minnesota Vikings only allowed him to throw the ball 10 times. So what is coaching telling you? I don't trust Kirk Cousins. I just want to run the ball and get out of here and execute that six-step plan that we've discussed ad nauseum here. So they at least trusted him to throw the ball. If you're going to go down, you might as well go down swinging. And the ball, you know, having a balanced offense and airing out the ball off the run game allows you to win the game. So the coaches at least trusted him to throw the ball. So that's something. And here's another something out of it that is kind of perplexing, but seems to be true. And it's been reported in the media. I'm not the first person to come up with this. Kirk Cousins at noon is like Joe Montana. Kirk Cousins at three or Kirk Cousins at seven or Kirk Cousins on Monday night. He is like Rex Grossman. I, I, it's kind of inexplicable. It's been explained by people close to the Vikings that he's a very routine guy. So when he's thrown off his routine, He's like a cat and he gets all out of sorts and he, he the moments are too big for him. I don't know. It's weird, but that weird to me is at least something. Uh, it's telling me how, especially for our betting segment, Marv, it's telling me how do I bet this guy because I can't figure it out. We were on the, we had a winning week, but we were on the Lions and we thought that one was a lock. Uh, Marv, the Jets' horrible performance on Monday Night Football, 33-0 to zero blowout. They lose to the Patriots. Uh we're really high on the Jets last episode. Is this something or nothing to you? I still think it's nothing. Uh, it, I mean, it was the Patriots. Patriots, I mean, it, it's nothing else really to explain. The Jets were going in, coming off a high, big win over the, the Cowboys. And so they were very, how I say, um, they were very enthused, enthused to, to play the Patriots. They thought they had a chance, but... Obviously, they're not on the Patriots level yet, and I think it's nothing. I think the Jets will bounce back and they'll be able to recover. We expected them to lose to the Patriots, as we mentioned when we, you know, off the air and looked at their schedule. That was one of the games we looked at and said, "Well, this is a definitely a loss." Of course, was I surprised by their performance of getting shut out? Yes, but I mean, I expected them to lose, and I, so I think it's nothing. I, I think they'll be able to bounce back from this and learn from the mistakes they made in that game. I have to say that this is mostly nothing. Now, Marv, I have a, a confession to make to the listeners. I was on the bandwagon for a minute. I was going to bet on the Jets just a few bucks. It was, the, the odds were plus 360 money line. I thought they could pull off the upset. But I was drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much, and I decided not to actually place that bet, thank God, because at the end of the day, the – reason for not betting it is how can you bet against the Patriots, not only against first and second year quarterbacks, they're 19 and 0 in their last 19 matchups against first and second year quarterbacks. But there's only two teams in the history of this league, at least recent history, the Patriots much more so and the Packers. 
they just absolutely own their division. It doesn't matter how good the 12 and four bears were last year or how good the jets are, or how good the bills are this year. The Patriots and Packers just beat the living, you know what, out of their division. So at the end of the day, still it's uh, that being known, it's nothing. I knew Sam Darnold's flaws when I praised him last week, his flaws are his footwork gets a little sloppy and he tries to do too much when he gets down. He's 22 years old. He It is a little something because he had one of the worst performances at quarterback I've seen. But like I said, he was given the Rubik's Cube when a lot of quarterbacks his age at just 22 years old are getting the, the kid's puzzle. And uh, he wasn't able to solve it. His protections were horrible, but he's going to be able to at least learn from it because he was able to to learn from the process that he went through. Not all failures in life are the same. You can either say, hey, I'm a failure and make that become you, or you can learn from it. And I think Sam is the kind of guy who's going to learn from it. So it's mostly nothing. It's a lot of what I already knew. Um, Marv, was it or, or is it something or nothing that the 49ers and Jimmy G remain undefeated at 6-0? Are you buying the 49ers? Yes. So I'm buying the 49ers and uh, what they're – doing they remain undefeated they're at six and oh um their defense is really good and i like what they're 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 putting out there they just acquired emmanuel sanders from the denver broncos for a third and a fourth round pick also they received a fifth round pick uh in return as well and i just think the the niners as the season progresses keep getting better and better and they might be one of the top teams in nfc before uh the season's up so I like what they're doing, and I think it's something uh, they're still undefeated. Yeah, I think it's definitely something. I see the 49ers, however, as a, a playoff team, but on the fringe, I don't think they have a lot of experience there. They don't have any veterans to kind of carry them. This is really Jimmy G's first year as a starter because of his injuries and, and lack of play. He's played a couple games here and a couple games there as a starter, but He's really on game 19 or 20 at this point. I don't have that number in front of me. And uh, they're, they are heavily reliant as a winning team, as a very successful team on the run game and the pass off the run. So if they get thrown off on that, it can become a problem. I do have them just outside my Super 6 of teams that are able to win the Super Bowl. So I like them. I don't love them. And I, I see a very bright future in the next uh, coming three years or, or longer, a, a dynasty that could be building there. I just don't think that they're ready to win the big game yet, but it's definitely something that they're 6-0. and uh, Last one here, Marv. Is it something or nothing that the Cardinals have won three games in a row? Started out 0-2 or 0-3-1, and now they're 3-3-1, and so it, it's three games in a row. I think it's something. What that tells me is the team is starting to pick up the playbook. They're starting to gel as a team. Early on in the season, they look lost. They look lethargic. They just look all kinds of messed up. As the season has progressed uh, in the first part of the season or first half of the season, the Cardinals, every game had started to score more and more points. And they're starting to build an identity. And I think their identity has been being able to run the ball, and also Kyler Murray has been able to get comfortable throwing the ball down the field. And I think over time, this has uh, helped them build team chemistry. They finally got Patrick Peterson back last week as well. So the Cardinals, surprisingly, are better than I expected them. I mean, I, I think it's something that they're they're on this mini win streak, and I think they can continue to win and possibly finish above 500 before the season's up. Uh, I like what they're doing, and I think it's I think it is something. Yeah, I think it's it is something, no doubt. We talked about it several weeks ago, actually, in the preseason and the pre-draft stuff. So this is a while back, but I had applauded, and I know you had as well. I applauded the Cardinals for taking the risk, at least swinging big. If you swing big and you miss big, I'm a lot happier and, and more comfortable with that. With that. If that was my team, than hiring John Fox or Jeff Fisher and just trying to go nine and seven. I, I, I really like the move and it's showing that it's paying off. Kyler Murray is learning the playbook. Cliff Kingsbury is learning how to 
uh, adapt. Kyler's learning that he cannot run everyone. The big number in these last three games is he's only taken two sacks. So he's learning, you got to get rid of the ball. You don't have a good offensive line. Those sack numbers are way down from the first four games. He took as many as, as 20 sacks in those first games. I don't have the number, but it was a super high number uh, in terms of the sacks. So he's taken two in the last three games. This is big progression for Kyler Murray and for Cliff's King. Cliff Kingsbury, and I really like the duo, and I very much applaud the Arizona Cardinals for saying, hey, uh, Josh Rosen isn't our guy in this offense. We're going to hire this young, innovative coach. Take a chance, and hopefully we get our franchise on track, and they look like they're on track. So uh, big, big applause to the Cardinals, and they've done a great job, and they've won three in a row. So uh, without further ado, we're going to get into the money-making sec- segment and the reason why you all listen, because Marv is on fire three weeks in a row, three and two, really got screwed by the uh, by the Chargers, Marv. Should have been four and one if Melvin Gordon could just run the ball in from the one-yard line and not fumble. However, a loss is a loss. Granted, it's a bad beat, but Marv is a moneymaker for the last three weeks. Marv, you have picks for us. And I will give agreement or disagreement on them for those that are listening. Uh, develop a nice little debate here. So, Marv, can you give us your first pick on the uh, bets? All righty. So the first pick of the week, I really like this. As we mentioned earlier, this team we covered. I like the Jets to cover five and a half at the Jaguars. I think the Jets are just getting a lot of bad rep for what happened on Monday night. And so – Vegas is probably trying to bait people into betting on the Jaguars for what happened on Monday night. I, I honestly don't think the Jaguars will score enough points to where they'll blow out the Jets. I think Sam Darnold's going to get back in on track, and I think they're going to do well enough to win the game in Jacksonville. Yeah, I'm going to go big agreement on this, and mainly for the singular reason. Obviously, you all know I like Darnold. I like Gase. I think they're underrated. They played all their really tough teams. Their remaining schedule, wins and losses as of last week, was 18-38. and 38. They have a great chance to d- dang near run the table going forward. And um, the main reason why I love it is exactly why you love it, Marv, is because Vegas builds into the number. They know the public is very reactionary, and they saw the Jets look like a – complete and total dumpster fire as everyone who's played the Patriots with few exceptions, the only exceptions being the Bills, um, have looked like a complete dumpster fire. And uh, they know that the public will react and they'll bet the Jaguars. So they're building that into the number. Love the Jets this week. I do like them to win, but to cover five and a half, that's an easy one. Uh, Marv, your second pick of the NFL bets, please. All righty. So my second pick is The Houston Texans, minus six and a half versus the Oakland Raiders. Um, I think Deshaun Watson's going to bounce back after the game they had over there in uh, Indianapolis, losing to the Colts. I think the Texans will win and win big by at least two touchdowns. So I'm going six and a half, Texans. This is a tough one, and I'm going to give you slight disagreement. I don't hate the pick because all the numbers say that Deshaun Watson does bounce back, and they're at home. But there is a very clear formula for the Raiders to win, and they're even doing it on the road in Green Bay until the wheels fell off. And that formula is push people around. It's that six-step formula. They are actually able to do that. They have a top-five line in both rushing and passing. So they're able to control the ball, uh, have that line bully you, and the Texans are very bullyable. I don't know if that's a word, but they're very easily bullied on defense. Uh, they, they're they a little smaller, built more for speed, and uh, they're easy to push around. So it's really important if the Texans are going to cover that big number of six and a half for the Raiders to uh, – or I'm sorry, for the, the Texans to cover that number. So the Raiders are very much a threat to win this game, I think, and that's the reason why I wouldn't bet it. So it's a slight disagreement. Uh, I would just put double your money on the Jets, Marv, <laughs> instead of taking that one. It's not a terrible pick. I don't hate it, but a disagreement for me for those reasons. Uh, Marv, your number three pick in the NFL. Uh, who's that? It's going to be the Chiefs plus four and a half. Now, as we always, as I've mentioned to you before offline and and through text, that four and a half, especially for a home team, 
It always screams to me, trap game. The Chiefs are supposed to lose. And the Packers are supposed to win. And so that's I think that's what Vegas does to bait people into betting on the Packers because the spread is so low. But I think the Chiefs will cover at least four and a half. I'm not saying they're going to beat them, but I think the Chiefs should be able to cover that four and a half at home since they're going to be in Arrowhead, which is one of the hardest places to play in the NFL. I mean, they have lost the last two games at home, so I think the Chiefs are going to be riled up. They're going to play for uh, Pat Mahomes, and they're going to find a way to keep this game close. I'm not saying they're going to win, but it's going to be closer than what people think. I think you and I agree on a couple things on this game. Number one, this is a textbook trap game. You look at Aaron Rodgers versus Matt Moore. You look at uh, the Kansas City Chiefs defense being horrendous. And Vegas is trying to get you to take the Chiefs at plus four and a half. So I commend you for that pick. I think it's the right pick by the number. But there are certain people. You're going to get disagreement from me, by the way, because there are certain people that are not quantifiable by quantifiable by numbers that I don't like to bet against, and that is primarily Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. If I'm looking at individuals, I, I think we're in agreement that this is going to be a win for the Packers. You think it's going to be a small win? I think it's going to be a win by a touchdown. The numbers and the uh, book thrown out here. It's my feeling that Aaron Rodgers will come out and they will run all over this defense. It is the worst rushing defense. Yes, the Chiefs look good against the Broncos, but Troy Aikman was laughing at the Broncos. They were so bad. Um, they're the only ones worse than the Bears on offense this year. Sorry, Marv. But the, the reality is I have to bet with the Packers on this side. Uh, with it being a trap game, I'm probably not touching it, but if you had a gun to my head and said I had to bet, I would take the Packers minus four and a half here. Um, so we're going to have disagreement there. Uh, number four pick, who do you have, Marv? So I have the Patriots versus the Browns. And I kind of changed my pick uh, as I thought about it a little bit more. And I'm going with the Patriots to cover 12 and a half at home versus the Browns. The Browns are coming off of a bye week. But, it's, I mean, logically thinking, Freddie Kitchens, against Bill Belichick, I just don't see it happening. At first, I thought it was going to possibly be a closer game only because they're coming off of a bye week, so I had time to prepare. But I don't think Freddie Kitchens has enough to prepare enough to stop the New England Patriots and what uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots do well. So I think the Patriots end up winning that game, and I think they'll win at least by two touchdowns. So I just don't see the Browns winning at all, and it's – this game will probably put the Browns in a in a even worse tailspin and open up the floodgates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are going to get agreement on this one. So we're two and two in terms of agreement and disagreement. Look, it's a big number, and I see a path to victory or at least a cover for the Browns. Uh, Patriots line up in a lot of man-to-man cover zero, which means that there is no safeties behind their corners. So one broken tackle, one juke, and you're gone to the end zone. Odell Beckham, uh, Jarvis Landry, they're good route. Odell Beckham's speed, Jarvis Landry's route running. Nick Chubb, also fast and can catch the football. So there are opportunities there for the Browns. However, we just discussed when discussing the Jets game, the um, Patriots are 19-0 and in their last 19 matchups against first and second year quarterbacks. They give them fits. As Sam Darnold said, they make me see ghosts. They're seeing ghosts like Kanye West and Kid Cudi. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really bad look for the Browns. Like you said, a huge coaching mismatch. So I'm going to swallow the 12 and a half points. I think the Patriots win big, by the way, they're at home. So, uh, we're in very much agreement there. Marv, give us your fifth and final pick here. My fifth pick has been kind of a trend. I've been picking the Dolphins for the last couple of weeks because these spreads have been ridiculously crazy. I have the Dolphins plus 14 and a half at Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't think the Steelers have enough firepower to blow the Dolphins out. I think normally the Dolphins give the Steelers fits, and I think Fitz Magic will do enough to keep the Dolphins in the game. They'll end up still losing maybe about a touchdown or two. 
but I don't think the Steelers will win by three scores. There's no way, and I, I think the Dolphins will at least cover that 14 and a half. Well, I love this trend, Marv. I'm in big agreement here, um, and I hope the people are loving it at home because it can make them money. But the reality is the Dolphins getting 14 and a half, that's just disrespectful. The Steelers are on their second or third string quarterback. We don't even know who that is. The Dolphins are a professional football team, and the only path is similar to what I said last week. The only path to covering more than two touchdowns for the Steelers is completely reliant on defensive touchdowns like they got against the Chargers. So Vegas is just hoping you say the Dolphins are like a dumpster fire. They're the worst thing I've ever seen. So I'll bet the Steelers. It is in Pittsburgh. But I don't see a way that that offense can put up that many points. They're just completely anemic on offense. And um, they did do it against the – we got to be careful, Marv. They did do it against the Bengals. We have to acknowledge that. They blew the Bengals out with Mason Rudolph. But I don't even think he's playing. We don't know who's playing yet. Um, also, something to note, the Dolphins have covered in their last two games. Both games, I mean, they covered against the, the Redskins. Redskins were, what, three and a half, and yeah. they lost by three? No, I'm sorry. They went for the win. They lost by one. Yep. Yep, they lost by one. <laughs> I forgot yeah. how about that. Yeah, Dolphins lost by one. And then last game, I believe they lost by like a touchdown. They kept it close, and they lost in the end. So, I mean, they've, they've been keeping games close, and they've been covering their spread. So, I, I really like the Dolphins to continue that streak going of, cover, of covering these uh, large Yeah, we spreads. have to remember this is a professional football team, and even when the Browns won one of like 35 games in a row, one game in two seasons – uh, that's 32, so one of 32 games. They weren't even getting 14, 21, 27 points, whatever these ridiculous spreads are. So it's become like this big joke for the the public and across the internet. The, the Dolphins are the worst team ever, and they may be one of the worst teams to ever play in the NFL right now, and that's kind of intentional because they traded everyone away for picks. But they do have professional football players on their team, and the Steelers have absolutely no firepower, so they're completely relying on their defense scoring points here and making a lot of turnovers, which could happen, but I don't see it. So that's three and two, Marv. We're we're in agreement more than we're in disagreement, although those disagreements might be rather large, but um, the agreements are, are solid. So uh, hopefully everyone's enjoying the picks. Marv's three weeks in a row. He's going for number four. So well done, Marv. That is the end of the show today. Uh, thank you all for listening. We're going to keep the news coming. Again, we're excited that the NBA season's out, but we're trying to keep our show concise so that you're able to listen to it in an hour and get everything you need to know for the week. If you're listening this long, uh, we'd love for you to leave a review. We really appreciate those so that it helps get our show exposure and uh, get the word out to the people. Uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from you, both in reviews and uh, in, in communication, social media, and uh, so we appreciate that. So, uh, Marv, do you have anything for the people? Thank you for listening, guys, and we're going to continue giving you guys great content on a weekly basis. We appreciate all the the uh, positive feedback and, criti- and positive criticism, and we'll continue to just bring out the best we can. Absolutely. Again, thank you, everyone who's listening. We'll keep doing our homework and bring you the takes as quickly as possible. We'll eliminate the hot takes and uh, give you some good sports information throughout the week. And uh, hopefully we provide a little lesson on life too. That is, that is a goal. So uh, bringing sports to life. So again, thank you all and have a great week. Enjoy the week of football. Although the primetime games are pretty atrocious. So good luck with that, everyone. I know it's going to be tough for me too. So Have a great week, y'all. Later, guys. It's going to be tough for me, too. So have a great week, y'all.